that's what I'm going to try and do today, and you already know I don't do time well, so let's just dive into the most controversial statement I'm going to make this morning, which will mean I may never get to teach again, and Anthony may not have even put it up on a slide, which would be really smart of him. Are you ready? No written evidence that I've said this now. Here we go. We are sexual beings because God is a sexual being. When your parents ask you what you talked about in church today, tell them that you are a sexual being because God is a sexual being, and they will then try and decide if I'm ever allowed to teach anywhere in this church again. Here's the, here's the deal with that. It's because when you hear the term sexual, you think automatically of sexual activity. And the word does connote that. It does say something about that. When I ask you if that movie was a sexual film, you know I'm talking about was there sexual activity in the film. So it does mean the attraction and physical activity between the sexes. Of course it means that. But it also has other definitions. And the way I mean this is if you're going and you're filling out a form for college, take a test like the SAT or ACT, you will see the word sex, and then you will see two choices usually, and that's getting more iffy as time goes along, right? You'll soon have more than a dozen options to choose from. But for now, you would have two boxes, and you'd be asked to check male or female, and you're expected to check the box that corresponds biologically to you in case the confusion of the world has influenced you as well. So that's what it's going after, and this is the way I'm trying to say it. What I'm not trying to say is that God is a male. What I am not saying is that God is a man. What I am saying is that God is masculine. He is not masculine and feminine. He is not asexual, meaning having no sexuality at all. He is not possibly one or the other, but he just chose his own sexuality to be masculine. God is masculine to his core. In a human way to say it, we would say it is knit in every fiber of God's being, if he had fiber. But he's a spirit. But that spirit is a person, and that person, God, is masculine. It is vital that you know this foundationally in your Christianity. Because his sexuality, his masculinity is the reason you and I even have categories called masculine and it's complementary called feminine. Without him beginning that way, you and I would have no basis for what we know about ourselves or about this world. But the way he even created this world tells you about him. You know the verse that says in Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The skies, the infinite of space, tells you about our infinite and vast God. They point to him. Everything points to him. The sunset, the beauty of dispersive refraction of light. I love that sunsets come from one thing, light, which contains every color. And then depending upon how light goes through an atmosphere, goes through a prism, goes through water, you get Fraction light. It's glorious. It's creative. It's beautiful because our God is glorious and beautiful and insanely creative. The, the way of creation points back to our God, and the way He created beings 
animals, fish, insects, tells you something about your God. You know how he made them. He made them all male and female. And he placed them on this earth. And he actually did something amazing within that. He gave them, out of their maleness and out of their femaleness, the ability, his ability, to create life. But the deal is, they don't mean to. Do you understand what I mean by that? They do it instinctively the same way they eat, the same way they drink, the same way they breathe, the same way they fight, the same way they forage. They do it all instinctively without directing that within themselves. They are intelligent, but that intelligence is undirected intelligence. It doesn't have a goal. It doesn't have a purpose or a plan. They glorify God simply by being what they are. So just as the skies proclaim the glory of God, so do elephants. But elephants do it simply by being an elephant. Their elephantness is what brings glory to God. They are just what they are. But have you noticed there are no rogue elephants who've decided they're, uh, they think they're rhinos today? The elephant doesn't think about its elephantness. It doesn't wake up and feel to try and decide, do I feel like an elephant today? Okay, I, I know I'm an elephant, but am I a male elephant? I don't know. I don't think anymore today. And so I now am a female elephant, and you must go along with that. You have to affirm my female elephantness. And it sounds so stupid. You know why? Because they cannot direct their sexuality. They don't have that ability. Their sexuality is just like everything else. It's instinctive. This is just part of what makes humans so very different from animals. When God paraded those animals in front of Adam and had them name him, he was showing Adam more than simply like they don't look like you. Or look, there's two of them and you're all alone. What God was also displaying to them is that they are unlike him in their ability to be conscious of themselves. Their ability to direct their own being and this world. Adam was like God. He could make plans. He could dream. He could have emotions about those things. He could plan. He could put that into action. He could gather. He had understanding of space and time and consciousness and materials and environment and purpose and processes that none of those animals could. In fact, Adam could utilize the animals. He could utilize that elephant for its strength. He could utilize animals for what they did in the world. He could think and plan and process. He could direct. And no animal that he saw could stand beside him and do any of that with him. Adam was created in the image of God. Animals were not. Adam needed someone who was like him, not just sexual. Animals are sexual, male and female, not just have hair and skin and two arms and two legs. He needed one who would be like him in so many ways, but unlike him in the same way he saw in the animal pairs, male and female. So out of Adam, God creates Eve. And when he does, he creates a woman who is both sexual but complementary in her sexuality. 
He made them both with knowledge of their sexuality. And because they knew it, they could direct it. Back to our creator was what it was made for. For acknowledgement of him, for thanksgiving to him, for glory to him as their representatives. Guys, animals have voices, but they cannot direct them in conscious praise to their God. Ants work, and they work hard, but they cannot direct that, that work consciously to the glory of God. Everything in them is instinctive. Ours is not. We do have instinctive processes. You do have them. You have breathing, and you have heart rate, and you have things called cellular respiration. Those are unconscious, instinctive, God-placed processes that you cannot direct. But then he gave you a whole host of things that you get to put out into this world, that you get to direct both within yourself and direct outward into the world. That's the way it is for every human being. When God came to Adam, he told them, I want you to use that very difference that I gave you. I want you to rule. I want you to subdue. And I want you to produce from all the differences that you have that you can direct. It takes conception. It takes planning. It takes execution. It takes maintenance. It takes fulfillment. When you were knit together in your mother's womb, before the foundation of the world, guys, you were known by our God. And you were masculine. And you ladies, before the foundation of the world, you were known by God. And you were feminine. Your femininity, your masculinity is not about body parts. It is about it's not about things like whether you can grow facial hair or whether your hips have wider arches on them. Those are knit together like that because you yourself inside of you is a spirit that has sexuality. Your body was knit together to match it and that matching it goes down to the cellular level. You can have all the surgery you want and I can still take one cell from any part of your body and know whether or not you're male or female. Your sexuality is written into the cells of your neurons. I can have one cell from your brain and I can pick it apart and know whether you're male or female because God knit your sexuality to the cellular level. But he didn't do that because he wanted to see what happened when he made feminine or masculine. He knew you as feminine or masculine, before he knit you together, you were given the body that matches your spirit, your conscious spirit, just like he is a conscious spirit. That's why you are what you are. Your sexuality was one of those things given into your hands for you to direct into this world. You're supposed to rule it. You're supposed to subdue it. You're supposed to produce with it. You are supposed to do good and you're never supposed to do harm with it. You're supposed to use it in such a way that the entire creation can watch your life in your sexuality and they can know more about our God. 
because they see you. Just as you were given your ability to direct your work and your play, your emotions and your will, your voice, your art, your body and your sexuality were given for you to direct, to move. You are directors, producers in this world. But to that high honor, he also adds this role we get to play in this grand thing called marriage, which is Christ and the church. And when the people see that sexual activity out of these two sexual beings, they get a picture of a union that for all of history, Paul said, was a mystery. He couldn't figure out why there's this thing called marriage. And then Paul reveals it's because when they see you together, they see a picture of Christ and his church. This is what everyone who's talked in this series has tried to get you to understand why sexual activity is even a thing. It's because it's a picture. But there's a problem, isn't it? Dave pointed you to Romans 1 last time. We're going to look at it this time. And I think Anthony got this, this slide up. Maybe. Yep. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God's shown it to them. For his invisible attributes and his divine nature, his eternal power, have been clearly perceived by the things that are made. So they are without excuse. But there's a problem. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God. They didn't honor him. They weren't thankful to him. Their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools. And stupidly, can you imagine this? They exchanged the image of the invisible God for mortal images. After man and birds and creeping things, therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their impurity to dishonoring their bodies because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We could, before, direct our honor. We could direct our thanksgiving. We could direct our bodies to the glory of God, to imaging him upon this earth. We could go to him as the source of all wisdom. We could set our hearts on him. They did not, and we do not. We turn aside we take all that we are, this consciousness, this ability, this planning, this directive of power that God gave us, and we turn it aside from him. We turn it to ourselves. We turn it to the world. And so every part of us fell. And the number one display that God tells us that that goes wrong is in the first words of the next section of Romans, our sexuality. For this reason, God gave them up to this honorable passions for their women exchanged relations with for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their sin and since they did not fit, see fit and here's the key to acknowledge God God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, 
disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who do them. Aren't we in a land and a time just like this one? For a while, though, culture was content to say, okay, I am male. I get I am a guy. But you don't get to tell me how to direct my sexuality. If I'm attracted, I'm going to be attracted to another guy. I'm attracted to another guy. And you can't say anything about it. They were glad to play the part of masculinity, but they refused to play the role of masculinity, the manhood of masculinity. But no longer. You are now living in a world where people go so much further. They refuse to accept the direction of their own bodies. You don't get to tell me I'm female. If I don't feel like I'm a female, then I'm not a female. And you better go along with me or I will surround you with people who will shame you for not validating me. This past week, a a seminar happened at a university, the place where free speech and thinking is supposed to happen. And a professor just said far less than I did, a professor of the university said far less than I did, and he was attacked by the students and beaten because he did not agree with their sexuality direction. Guys, if you see something like this, you might think to yourself, like, why in the world would they go so far? Why would they be so adamant, so violent about an idea that they would go so far. It's not about just a mere idea. They are talking about their own ability to direct their lives. And you don't get to say anything about it. Why in the world would you do this? Because if I can get you to believe that a male can choose to be a female, then you can get on my side. We can agree that two women together, that makes a marriage. And then together, we'll all get together and proclaim that two women and a man are a marriage like has already been filed in a United States federal courthouse. And the end of perversion is not in front of us. There's already other petitions, other filings trying to get things which are right now wrong, illegal, made right just because of a corporate mentality of self-direction. This should not be a shock to us because no sin stays in its place. There is not any sin that has ever happened that has stayed in its place and sexual Sin, sexual perversion is not going to stay in its place. And when I use the word perversion, you probably hear it, but you need a definition of it. If I say that something is perverse, what it means is there is a standard out there, and what you're doing does not match up to the standard. If I tell you that you have a drunken father who is abusive, he is bitter, he is angry, he's always insulting, cutting you down, That man is a perversion of fatherhood because we have a standard, a God who is father. And if he doesn't match up to that, it is perverse. It is against the standard. Well, guys, there is a standard for your sexuality. In that same way, 
We pervert our sexuality when we do not use it according to the design of God. You as a guy are masculine and you are expected to know your masculinity, to understand your masculinity, to understand the design of your masculinity and to know how to play that out into this world. And if you are female, you are expected to understand femininity. You're expected to know it, understand it, explore it, and know how that plays out into this world. You're supposed to know what it means to direct your sexuality in a way that is anti-Romans 1 spiral down, but instead spirals up to where your sexuality, not just your sexual activity, but your very being as a sexual creature is a display of the glory of God and points to him as the one worthy of all honor and all thanksgiving for who we are and what we get to do. That's the design. But we do not honor him as God sexually. And out of that comes a whole host of evil acts, some of which you just saw, but they are all from the same source, the rejection of God as God. This is why you making out with your girlfriend comes from the same source and puts you in the same group as some guy who says he's a girl. You are standing together as one, in one group, because all of that came from the same initial sin, rebellion against God's design for your sexuality. So don't turn up your nose at them. Wonder how this could happen. Put yourself distance from them. It is hypocrisy for the church to do that. If you have sexual fantasies, if you have ever read or seen in a movie or a television show or in a book some sexual scene that honored and glorified sex outside the marriage covenant of God, then you stand with child molesters, pornographers, pimps, adulterers. Your sin is simply a fruit off of the same vine, the rebellion against God, your rebellion is their rebellion, but God, still so rich in mercy, has not done to us for what our sexual perversion deserves. He has not wiped us out. Instead, crazy, God has decided to make a recreation, a do-over inside of the original creation. He has decided to bring life out of what only brought death. He has decided to take your sexuality along with all of the other directiveness of you and put it to death. And then out of that same grave to bring you to life. And your sexuality is included in that. When he did it, he did it in a startling way, honestly. Because God chose to bring about that life in you by sending forth his only son. He's a son because he was masculine, and he's masculine because he's been masculine for eternity. Do you get that Mary only contributed the X to the chromosome? The Y came from the masculine spirit of God that hovered over her womb. God is masculine. He gave masculinity to his only son. And Jesus Christ grew up, not possible female, but completely male. He is a man. But the weird thing is, God was not content to have just one son or even one child. He wants lots of sons and daughters. 
lots of them, more than the grains of sand on the sides of the ocean, more than the stars in the sky. He wants sons and daughters. So he has created a new people within the people, a new culture within the culture, a new race within the races, a new kingdom within the kingdom, a new nation within the nation. It had nothing, it has nothing to do with geography, has nothing to do with location, it has nothing to do with your skin color, it has nothing to do with anything about your language or your sexuality even. He is creating it from the inside of all of that to be one people, bearing the same body, the same sexuality, but completely different in this world. Our genetic makeup has not changed, but everything about us is supposed to. Not in how we act, not in how we just move our hands or how we think, or even as sexual beings, but how we direct all of that. Every part of you that is under your direction is supposed to be changed to be under His direction. We can now do what human beings have not been able to do since the garden, and that is we are now by His Spirit able to direct our mind, our will, our emotions, our sexuality, everything about us, to the end for which God created this world, and that is the glorious display of himself through the people of God. That doesn't mean you can only do it when you get married. Though we love marriage, God loves marriage, but you need to know how to direct your sexuality outside of marriage. As someone who is single, you could be single for the rest of your life and still be fully and completely perfect, lacking nothing as a child of God and as a sexual being on this earth. You have to learn how to separate out who you are as a sexual being and what are the sexual acts that flow through that. Sexuality does not equal the sex acts. They are separate, and you have to battle this on both of those fronts. You have to know to understand sexuality in general, your own sexuality, the sexuality of the opposite sex. You also then need to know how did the sexual activity that flows out of our sexuality, how does that bring glory to God? How does that display them, both in when it's done, with whom it's done, how it's done? How does it represent God here? Just as everything you eat or drink, whatever you do, is supposed to be done to His glory, so should this be directed with your new will as a new creature in Christ Jesus in light of who you are, how you were recreated, what you're supposed to be thinking like. You're supposed to point all of it to the God who made you. But that doesn't mean that your goal is to focus on the actions of your sexuality. It means that you have to be on a continual search for the rest of your life to understand if you're a guy, what does it mean to be wholly masculine? Not wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly, H-O-L-Y, perfectly masculine, completely masculine in a way that set apart, glorifies God. And if you're a girl, you're meant to explore your femininity. And what does it mean to be wholly feminine before God? What does it look like in this world to do that? But it does not mean you have to accept a cultural standard for your femininity or your masculinity. Cultures change. Times change. You may move to a new country where they give a whole new set of definitions as to what they feel like it looks like. 
But the word of God does not change, which means there is a biblical standard for sexuality. There is a biblical standard for your masculinity, a biblical standard for your femininity. And you're meant to be in the word exploring this thing. This is so huge for me because I faced these same issues in college, in the classroom and outside of the classroom. One small example was standing out in a big field, and I was talking to a friend over about, say, from about catcher's mound to second base were two guys throwing a baseball away from me. And they were standing about pitcher's mound to center, back center field, right? And they're just throwing a baseball back and forth. I saw them, but I wasn't really paying attention. When all of a sudden they said, heads up, and you know what you do, look up, and sure enough, the ball's coming past him toward me. I picked it up, and the guy looked at me and said, just a second, I'll come closer to you, and you can throw it to me. I had an, he had an assumption in his head that if a girl is holding a baseball, she won't know what to do with it. So I did throw it hard, fast, and straight to the other guy because I had played softball for 14 years at that point. And if you can throw a softball hard, fast, and straight, a baseball is nothing. So I chunked it, and of course he goes, wow, do you want to throw with us? And he ran to his other friends, and he gave me the hugest insult without even knowing it. Come and see, she throws like a guy. No, I didn't. No, I didn't throw like a guy. I threw like a girl. <laughs> because femininity can throw a baseball well. But femininity also doesn't have to throw a baseball well. It's not defined by whether or not you can throw a baseball. And it's also not defined in so many ways our culture tries to do it. You know this, but there is a commercial that makes me cry every time. It's called, and you can Google it later, just put in video and like a girl. You may have seen this where they have some people come up in front of a blue screen and they say to them, throw like a girl, act like a girl, run like a girl, hit like a girl. And this teenagers up. Older, teenagers are older. You, you know what they do, right? Every action they do is weak, silly, and ineffective. But they discovered that the younger the person is that they asked boy or girl, the more they simply ran, threw, hit. They didn't act like something. That is a perversion of sexuality in our culture that you have to fight. Femininity is not weak and silly and ineffective. It can be strong and powerful and sturdy and excellent. But this is a part of our culture that they accept without even thinking of it, even when they have Women's Day. They always exclude certain parameters to the sides of what they think fullness of femininity is. You have to fight back about it. One of, not the main even, but one of the reasons that girls turn to lesbianism or want to become a transgendered male is simply that they are rejecting this perverse stereotype. Some of it is from hurts done by men and they don't want anything to do with men. Some of it's simply rebellion. 
Some of it comes from nothing but their own hearts. But we can't do anything about that rebellion. The gospel can. But we can't do anything about their innate rebellion. But what we can do is so portray femininity, so portray masculinity, that they would have no reason to reject it because they would find it so incredibly beautiful to know they can throw a really great curveball and be a girl. But you need to know also masculinity is not defined by throwing a really great fastball. Do you know there's whole countries who do not play that sport? We go to Ukraine and we ask the guys to throw an American football or throw a baseball. Your brain's going to say they look like girls. They don't know how to do it. We've tried. They're getting it. But I can throw a much tighter spiral than any guy over there. Until they put the ball and make it round and put black and white and put it on the ground and tell me to kick it into a net, and then I look foolish. But it's okay because my femininity is not decided on whether or not I can kick a soccer ball, just as his masculinity is not based upon whether or not he can throw a tight spiral. Masculinity and femininity are not based upon actions in sports and activities. We've got to start understanding this. Guys, here's the deal. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 16, and it literally says this. It's a command. This command by Paul is given to all of the church across all time, and it says this, act like men. (laughs) Act like men. So I have to figure out how, as a feminine being, I'm supposed to obey Paul and act like a man. I can. I can do it. I've explored this. I think I understand what he's getting at in the whole context of 1 Corinthians. I know what he wants. He wants us to stand up and do something about the problems in our church. And sometimes the problems in your church happen when there's no man around. So I need to stand up and act like a man. Do something about it. The solution to all of our sexual perversions is this. And it's not going to be news. Repent. Repent of your sexual sins. Repent of all of the ways that you have rejected your masculinity and femininity, all of the ways you have distorted and used it, all of the ways you have displayed your body, used it in a manner that is not how it was meant to be directed. It's not in the place, it's not in the time, it's not with the person that it's meant to be directed toward to the glory of God. But that's just one level of confession. I hope you can see that now. Because your confession cannot stop at your sexual acts or you will never defeat them. Never defeat them. You can subdue them for a time, but they will raise their head again. promise you. Unless you also learn to confess the heart behind the sexual activity that's sinful. Just as if I overheard you speaking racial Racist speech. Yes, you would need to confess of that sentence, that racist speech. But you also know that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your racist comments don't come out of nowhere. They don't come because of circumstances. They don't happen because of what somebody does to you. They come from a heart that is set on demeaning, lowering, controlling, manipulating people. In the same way. Your sexual acts do need to be repented of, but they are only the fruit of the real problem within you. Your sexuality has gone wrong. You have to seek out and know that. You have to repent, not only of your sexual activity, but of your rebellion 
against God. Your desire to do what you want, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, with whom you want to do it. Every part of you wants to be self-directive. Guys, it's the number one ideal in our land, and we are all infected by it. We have to reject this self-determination about our bodies and our sexuality, and we have to place it back under the control of God's Spirit alive in us to rule it, to subdue it, and to produce from it. And when you don't feel like it, don't want to, wish you didn't have to, that's sin. That's the very rebellion that happened from the garden, happened Cain and Abel, and plays out in this world today. Confess that you have distorted and degraded and insulted and demeaned the opposite sex. You have done so in order to elevate yourself, even if it's just an attitude or thought. Then you have to see how you've labeled them as whole groups, how you've placed like a girl and like a guy on all sorts of activities that have nothing to do with sexuality. Then finally, you have to seek out for the rest of your life what it means to be biblically masculine or biblically feminine. If you only keep your focus on don't watch porn, don't make out with my girlfriend, don't have sex before marriage, you will never get control of this. You need to know what your sexuality is. What does it mean, guys, that you are masculine? Girls, what does it mean that you are feminine? And how does that play out? How does masculinity show off to the glory of God the external life-giving, protective, providing, future-establishing masculinity of God. But ladies, there is something there for us too. And this is the part I wish I had more time to go into, and you know I do not. I always run out of time. So I knew I couldn't do this this morning. But I wanted to give you a hint, ladies, that we are called the glory of man. And it can feel like that is such a lesser glory. It is not. Because we have one who is God. He is fully God. He is equal in power, equal in might, equal in glory, majesty, wonder, ability, knowledge. He is God. But he chose to become a man, a human. But the wonder of wonders is, though that's a miracle, it's, it's not the glory that you've got to look at. What you have to understand is that man chose to be man for the rest of eternity. He was not a man before he was born here. He was spirit, just like God is spirit. But now and forever, he has chosen to bear forth the fragility, the weakness, the wonder of being human, and yet to have all the power of God, the presence of God, the might of God, the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God. He is all that he needs to be inside of him because of his Father, He's not trusting in himself but his Father. And every time you read the Gospels, ladies, and you hear Jesus look at somebody like Pilate and say, when Pilate says to him, you know I can let you go or crucify you, right? And Jesus says, you would have no power over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. You have just seen the glory of man. Every time they came back, like with the Samaritan woman at the well, and they said, wait, aren't you hungry anymore? And he says, I have food you know nothing about. You have seen the glory of man. You have seen what it's like when someone who should not be that strong, who should not be that internalized strength, who should not have in this earthen jar something so glorious, you have seen the wonder of humanity. You have seen the glory of man. 
which means you have to search out, guys, as you look at the Gospels, you need to see Jesus in his forward going, his activity in the world, his power and his strength on display. And ladies, every time you see him own the situation just by standing, you're looking at the very image of God that he gave you to display. In marriage, sure. In submission to a husband, sure. It plays out there so hugely. But it also plays out everywhere you go because it's about Jesus's masculinity. It's about our femininity. It's not about our marriages. Until you start seeing yourself as fully sexual, fully masculine, fully feminine, and understanding the glory of what it means to own those, you're never going to get sexual activity right in or out of a marriage. But if you could start to see the glory of what we get to display of Christ Jesus upon this earth by directing our sexuality, then guys, listen, as I tell you every time, staring at Jesus Christ in that glorious way will transform you into his image one degree of glory after the other. The Spirit of God himself will do it in you. That's the goal, and that's the glory of sexuality in your life and why it goes wrong. Pray with me that God would make that in us awareness and change us into his likeness. Father, do that for us. Your son is both the glory of God and he is the glory of man. He is perfect in his power and might and majesty and he perfectly humbled that before you. And he directed every part of himself to your glory for the display of your image upon this earth. And we're asking that you would do that in all parts of us that we get to direct. But Father, today specifically, I am begging you that you would awaken your Holy Spirit to give them the mind of Christ, to see themselves in the way you've created them, to see what it would mean like to direct their sexuality in a way that would honor your son's life here, in a way that would cause the world to see us and know far more about you than they've ever known before. It would be a miracle for this generation specifically, so I'm praying this church would be just a seed that would blossom for this fruit. Father, help us to rule and subdue and produce our sexuality for your glory. For the name of your son, we pray. Amen. And it's 1216, so <laughs> you've got to go, you got to go. There are questions, though, if you'd like to be brave and answer them. <laughs>
Blood is shed for 